Welcome to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Located in El Dorado Hills, California, it is our mission to help others find and follow Jesus. We hope this message inspires, encourages, and uplifts you today. So one of the things I love about the Bible, and I've said this before, but it's so important to hear it again, is that the stories in Genesis, the stories throughout the Bible, right, these are ancient stories, and we cover the whole life of Joseph in a matter of 13 chapters. It's just a few pages in your Bible, right? You know, you, we look at biographies today or we read modern biographies and they're so descriptive, so much detail of childhood and different scenarios and key turning points in people's lives. But the, the Hebrews, the Israelites who, who first wrote the book of Genesis, man, they were just straight and to the point. We're going to hit the highlights. We're going to give you the key things. We're going to cover Joseph's entire life story in just a few pages. But what's amazing about God's inspired word is that we see the story of Joseph's life. And I promise you, as we go through this today, you're going to think, that is a picture of my life. That is a picture of my own journey. That's a picture of how God has worked in my life. I can see the resemblance, and God says, look, I'm going to give you these inspired examples in my word as patterns and examples and archetypes of how I work. I don't change. This is how I work in your life through all human history, and we can gain hope from the examples of those who've gone before us. That's what I love about God's word. It's timeless, Never goes out of style. It never becomes irrelevant. It is always on point for what we're facing today. And friends, I want to encourage you, if you're new to Christianity or new to the Bible, go ahead and grab your Bible when you get home. Buy a Bible. We got a Bible for you if you want one. Get the Bible app on your phone. Start in Genesis chapter 37 and read through chapter 50. It's a fascinating story. That's the story of Joseph, and you will see that Joseph's life is a beacon of hope for a weary world. It's a story about the power of God to literally change your circumstances in a moment with one conversation. One conversation that was completely outside of Joseph's control, by the way. It's a parable of resilience in the midst of the most difficult situations imaginable. Joseph's life story is about the faithfulness of God for anyone who's ever felt, and check this, forgotten, abandoned, alone, exhausted, forsaken, or betrayed. Just me? Okay. Um, A beacon of hope for anyone who's ever felt stuck, trapped, or like life has hit a dead end. A few honest people in the room this morning. But it's also about the power of dreams to anchor us to hope, to a future, no matter what situation we find ourselves in. It's the power of hope and faith to pull us through. It's a story of resilience during the faithful. It's a story of story of resilience and faithfulness during the detours of life. It's reassurance that God is working in the background, even when it feels like everything is delayed. Through it all, through the highs and lows of Joseph's journey, we see and we learn that God is up to something more. So often in life, so often in life, we are playing checkers and God is playing chess. We are, we are making one move. Sweet, I got a double jump. Maybe I can, you know, turn this one into a double stack. What's that called in checkers? I forgot. 
king, king me, right, pow. And God's like, I'm playing chess. You're just looking at the surface of the board. I am nine moves ahead. I know everything that's happening. I'm in control. I'm in charge. I see what's coming even though you can't see it. And that's what we see in the story of Joseph. And I thought about this because I thought, man, we right now, man, we are in a uniquely exhausted period of American history. (laughs) We are in a uniquely burned out and tired period of world history. We have just been through three years of pivoting, changing, figuring out a new future, deciding, do I go left or right? What's gonna happen? Everything feels unstable and uncertain. We're living in this idea of the future. And, and you've read the articles, you've seen the stats. Anxiety is at an all-time high all across the world. There's a lot of different reasons for that, but we learned this several weeks back when Pastor Chad preached on anxiety. Anxiety deals with the future, And what anxiety tells you is that whatever's coming, whatever's out there, whatever's down the road that I can't see, it's one of two things. It's really bad, like really bad, whatever's coming, and uh, it's very fearful. You should be afraid of what's coming. You're not gonna make it. It's really bad. It's worse than you could ever imagine. That's the narrative of anxiety, That puts you into what a psychologist would say or anybody that studies the human brain. It puts you into fight or flight. And when you live in fight and flight for three years, collectively as a culture, by the end of that, you're exhausted. You're burned out. You got nothing left. You're hitting the gas pedal, but there is no fuel left in the tank. Your car is not moving. We've all felt that at some level or another over the past three years, and anxiety is a huge narrative in our culture. Now, as I was thinking about Joseph's story, because we're going to learn, Joseph's story moves forward through a series of dreams. And, And when I say the word dream, in his story specifically, it's dreams that he has in the night that are given to him by God. But the word dream throughout the Bible and in our own lives, it has multiple meanings, right? A dream is not just something that happens when you're sleeping. You can dream when you're wide awake. You can have dreams of your future, hopes for your future. Um, I'll come back to this in just a second, but a dream is simply this. It's a vision or plan for a better future that is filled with hope, meaning, and purpose, It's an idea, it's something you wanna build or create or it's as simple as your relationships or your marriage or your current job. It's simply taking wherever you're at or whatever you wanna do in life or wherever you wanna go and say, look, I I wanna make this better. I want my life to be better. I want my job to be better. I want my relationships to be better. I want my finances to be better. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna come up with a vision or a plan for the future of this thing, whatever it is, and it's gonna be a better, it's gonna be a better outcome than where I'm at right now. So it fills me with hope, meaning, and purpose. Now, when you put that into the context, because dreams also deal with the future. Anxiety deals with the future, but so do dreams. But when you're dreaming about the future and you're thinking about the future, you're not thinking, oh, it's awful. Oh, I don't even want to go there. You're thinking, it could be better. 
Where I end up could be better. Got, it's got to be better than right here. That's what some of you all are saying right now. I don't know where it ends up, but it can't get worse than this. So it's a good thought of the future. It fills you with hope. It's a hopeful view of what's coming and where this thing is headed. And I thought, man, maybe one of the invitation of Joseph's stories, one of the things that we'll learn from Genesis 37, maybe one of the cures to anxiety is not just getting off social media or breath work and meditation, which all that's good, um, but maybe one of the cures is actually an invitation from God for you to dream again. For you to dream again. For you to say, wow, the future doesn't have to be filled with fear and awful bad things. Perhaps God would want me to, to think and dream of something bigger and better for my life. Something even as simple as the steps that I need to take to dream of a better marriage, to dream of better health, to dream of better whatever it is, fill in the blank. And then to begin to move towards that with hope and with faith that it can get better. And so my title for the sermon today is simply this, Keeping the Dream Alive. Because when I read Joseph's story this week, the question that hit me, the phrase that hit me was simply this, he is not living the dream. How did he keep the dream alive? Over 22 years of mountains and valleys and prisons and pits and betrayal and delays and long seasons of pain and awfulness. I, I'm like, man, how did this guy make it to the finish line? How did he finish well? How did he hang on to the dream? How? I think there's some things that we can learn. I think we can learn from Joseph not only how he did that, but how we can do that in our own lives so we don't fall short of where God wants us to ultimately be in life. And so keeping the dream alive is what we're looking at today. And before we get into Joseph's story, I wanna look at Psalm 126, verse one. This psalm really acts as a parallel to this whole sermon. We're gonna see that at the very end. I'm gonna bring it back at the very end, but Psalm 126 is one of the Psalms of Ascent. That means when all the Jewish people would come back to the temple for the feasts or the, for the, the high holy days, they would walk up the 15 steps of the temple on the temple mount, and on each step they would sing a song. And song, Psalm 126 is one of those songs of ascent that they would sing. The very first line, I have it up here, but I'll read the whole thing to you. It says, when the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. When he brought us out of captivity and he brought us back to our home, to Zion, to Jerusalem, we were like those who could dream again. No longer were we, were we stuck in chains, forced to do that which we did not want to do. Now we were free to dream and to build what God would have us build, to dream and to build what was on our hearts to build. We were like those who dreamed again. Not only that, but we had dreamed of the day when we would be free and back in our homes, and now we are living the dream. It's happening all around us. Psalm 126, it goes on to say, says their mouths were filled with laughter. 
Think about that. Just the sound of laughter, the, the tongue with shouts of joy. And they said among the nations, that's all the other people that knew the Israelite nation. They said, wow, their God has done great things for them. God got the glory from the deliverance in their life. And they said, the Lord has done great things for us and we are glad. Joy, laughter, shouts of joy, gladness. When you're pursuing a dream, there's something inside of you that anchors yourself to joy, not fear. That anchors yourself to hope, not despair. Then it goes into verse four. Imagine singing this on the steps on your way up to the Temple Mount to make sacrifice. This song of praise turns into a prayer for help. They said, Lord, restore our fortunes. Do you know what that means? That means right now they're oppressed. Right now they're in captivity. What they're talking about in verse one is not their current situation. Verse one is like, I remember when the Lord brought us back out of captivity the first time, we were like those, we were like those who dreamed. Now, Lord, please restore to us those fortunes like streams in the desert, like the rain that comes in the winter on the parched land, and overnight the desert is transformed into this beautiful, fertile field of wildflowers, just like when the rain comes. And then it says in verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves of harvest with him. Friends, what a picture of Joseph's life, what a picture of our own lives. There's a future dream, there's something better that you long for in any area of your life that's lined up with God's will for your life, that's lined up with the glory of God and your good and to serve other people. And you're like, I wanna go in that direction. I, I've seen God do this before. I know where I'm headed. I'm not there yet. And in the meantime, I gotta sow seeds every day, even in my sorrow, in my weeping. I'm putting some things in the ground, believing that God is gonna send rain and sun at the right time, and then I will be able to harvest with joy. Friends, that's the process of keeping the dream alive. Part of it is sowing seeds in seasons of sorrow. So a dream, it's a vision or a plan for a better future, but I think this is really important. This word right here, dreamed, in the Hebrew, it's the word shabit, and it literally has two other meanings. So it's not just dreaming or hoping about the future. It also um, means strong, and it means healed. I thought that was so interesting. We were like those who had strength. We were like those who became strong. We were like those who were healed. So there's something in connection with having a dream for your life, a vision, a plan for your life, no matter what stage of life you're in, whether you're in high school or retirement, how can you make a, a change? How can you say, Lord, I wanna be a part of the prayer that you taught us to pray when you said, Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I wanna be a part of answering that prayer no matter where I am. So living into the dream of God for your life means it doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home parent, 
It doesn't matter if you're a working parent. It doesn't matter uh, if you're a student, an Uber driver, a business owner, a software developer, a photographer, a doctor, teacher, nurse, lawyer, politician. It doesn't matter. You're called to make your situation more like heaven than it is. You're called to bring heaven to earth in that place, and that's just one little faithful seed sown at a time. You're called to dream about how can this be done even better in a more whole way, in a, in a, more, in a way that is more healing to those around me, that is more fruitful to those around me, in a way that's a blessing to my family, to my marriage, to my health, Lord, what do you want me to create with my life? What's the work of my life meant to be? And when we anchor ourselves to that, to that idea, friends, when we begin to dream again, and I think this is an invitation from God for you to dream again. When you begin to dream, small or big, of what God wants for your life, what your passions and desires are, and you begin to make a plan and move towards those things, you find new strength, and you even find healing in the process. God uses the journey of your pursuit of the dream to heal you. It's part of his process to bring you into fullness. Now, that was a long introduction. We're gonna, we're gonna fly into the rest of this. Joseph, Genesis chapter 37. Here's the deal with life and this whole process, right? Somewhere between the dream and the fulfillment of that dream, that dream becoming reality, there's a gap. And that gap is called your life. And you are here. And you realize, man, right here, I'm dreaming about some better days, some better things, some things that I want to create, do, build, accomplish, some things that I want to change about myself or my current circumstances. But you are here. And that dream, that reality is out there. And in between here and there, there's a few things like detours, development, delays, and praise God, death. I know that's not like super happy, but in the story of Joseph, friends, and if you know what's coming, if you recognize these things as they're happening, which we will see in the life of Joseph, you're more prepared to endure them when you're in them because Hear me when I say this. Every single time you decide in your life to step towards God's call, to step towards Christ, to become the, the better version of yourself, a more whole, healed, God-glorifying version of yourself, the more that you step into the image of God that you were made to be, the more you will face resistance, the more you will face detours, delays, you will have discouragement. It will feel like dying. And you're on the right path. That's how you know. Because the gospel narrative is simply this. Resurrection, the new life, the thing that you want, it always comes on the other side of dying to yourself. It always comes on the other side of some form of death. That's why when a seed is buried, the seed is dead. But the harvest comes after the sun and the rain. God has brought the sun and the rain to bring new life. So friends, that's the process. And in Genesis 37, we see Joseph is 17 years old. And right off the bat, it talks about the fact that Joseph is the favorite son of his father, Jacob. He's the favored son. There's 11 other brothers 
who all become the, the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, Joseph included, 12 in total. And because Joseph was born to Jacob by Rachel, his true love, he loved Joseph the most. And what he did was this. Um, really, it's a tough situation if you're the youngest brother and your dad does this for you. You might feel pretty excited about it at first, but you learn really quick your older brothers aren't going to like it very much, and it's going to create a lot of problems for you in your life. And so Jacob actually made Joseph the manager of all of his household affairs. And, you know, maybe you've seen the movie, you've heard the story, uh, Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Y'all remember that? Jacob makes for Joseph this multicolored, beautiful robe. And as I dug into some of the commentaries this week, it was fascinating because the robe, it wasn't just a, a sign that, you know, he was the favorite one. It was also a sign of management. So Joseph got to live in the comfort of the home while all the older brothers were out working the flocks. And dad would send Joseph to go out and check up on his brothers and, you know, bring back a report of what was happening out there. Are they doing a good job? A couple times Joseph told on them, also not helping his cause whatsoever. And then Joseph had two dreams, back to back. In the first dream, he came to his brothers and he says, guys, you won't believe this awesome dream I had last night. You're going to love this. We were all gathering wheat, we were harvesting wheat, and we were, we were stacking it into bundles and into sheaves of wheat at the end of the harvest, and mine stood up tall, and all of yours fell down and bowed down to mine. How awesome is that? The direct following line in Genesis 37 is, they hated him even more. And then he had a second dream. And he tells it to his father and his brothers. He goes, guys, I had another crazy dream. This time, the sun and the moon and all the stars were bowing to me. Pretty cool, huh? Right? And then literally, this is what Genesis 37, 10 to 11 says. His father rebuked him. Jacob's like, boy, that's, enough. that's a little too far, right? I am not bow I'm not bowing down to you, right? And his brothers responded, so you think you will be our king? Do you actually think you will reign over us, Joseph? And they hated him. This word hate shows up four times within like three verses. They hated him all the more because of his dreams. So Joseph gets this vision from God of his future, God tells Joseph at a young age, as a young man, he says, I'm actually gonna raise you to leadership, to rulership, and it's not just gonna be over your brothers out here in the fields, it's gonna be like the cosmos, all the stars, the sun and the moon will bow down to you. I'm gonna give you authority one day, Joseph. I'm gonna put you in charge of things one day, Joseph. And then the very next day, Jacob goes, hey, I need you to go out. Check on your brothers, figure out where the flock is, bring me back a report. You're the manager. Go do what you have to do. The brothers saw him coming and they said, we're gonna kill that guy. We are done with his dreams. His dreamer's driving us nuts. Look at him in his fancy little manager's coat coming out here. So they, th they, they strip him of his robe. They throw him into a dry well. It's called a, a cistern or a pit in the middle of the desert. And they're like, okay, how do we want to kill him? Uh, we can just, 
you know, kill him, cut his head off. I don't know. We'll, uh, you know, say he was eaten by a wild animal. We'll leave him out here. They're, they're dreaming all these ways. Reuben, the older brother, steps in. He's like, all right, guys, he's our brother. We can't kill him. And then just at the right moment, it says this. There were a bunch of Ishmaelites who were slave traders. They came by. Their caravan came by. So Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Genesis 37, verse 28. So we'll just sell you into slavery and get rid of you that way. That way we won't have a guilty conscience of killing you. But we don't have to deal with you anymore. We'll go back and tell dad that a wild animal killed you, ate you, but now we don't have to deal with you anymore. Now, what was Joseph thinking in that moment? He's in shackles. He's in the back of a slave caravan on his way to be sold to some Egyptian lord as a slave. I imagine with something like this, Lord, you left this part out of the dream. I remember the part where everyone's bowing down, like that was awesome. This, I don't see how this connects to that. You know, the guys who were supposed to be bowing down to me just beat me within an inch of my life, left me for dead, and then sold me into slavery. This is not, this doesn't feel like it's connected to the dream. And I, I think the reality, the first thing we see is that there's a detour. And God says, look, Joseph, I know you don't see how this connects to my ultimate plan, my ultimate dream for your life, even what you desire for your own life. I'm sure you can't wait for the day when they bow down to you. But this detour is intentional. I know it's stressful and you don't know where this is going, but I've got a plan for it. You gotta trust me, Joseph. I made me think about the days of, uh, of MapQuest, you know, before we had phones. And we, you remember this? You had to print these out before you went anywhere and it had all the, you know, this, the little map on the front, which was useless. And then the back was all the, uh, the steps of the journey along the way. And I, I remember a couple times, you know, my parents would print this off or, even me, I'd print it off and, and before smartphones and all the rest of it. And I remember in a new town or going to a new place, if a road was ever closed or there was a detour sign, that was stressful. Because you were fully dependent on whoever the road crew was that day, having enough detour signs to actually get you back to where you were supposed to go. And that, you know, they wouldn't just halfway through decide, ah, They'll figure it out from here. I can't tell you how many times it felt like I'd get detoured somewhere, and I was like, all right, I saw the first sign, I saw the second sign, and now I'm driving for three miles. I'm like, I have not seen another detour sign. I have no idea where I am. Now I'm on the phone. You're on the phone calling your friend, like, okay, I'm on 8th Street and, you know, Montgomery Street. How do we get to where you are? He's like, bro, you got you to gotta go way the other way. I mean, that was like life before smartphones. And I think Joseph probably felt like that, like, Lord, I feel like you gave me the sign, I've got the dream, I'm being faithful in my father's household, I'm managing things, now I've been betrayed, I'm imprisoned, I'm about to be sold into slavery. This is a whole lot of detours and I do not see how this gets back on the road to me being a ruler. And the detours are about you learning to recognize God's signs and trust God's process even and especially when you don't see how it's gonna get to the end. Second thing is this, um, is development. So there are detours and development on the journey, on the way to the dream. This is interesting. Joseph was sold into a man named Potiphar's house. 
says this, Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that Joseph did to prosper. So Joseph found favor in his sight and he made him the overseer of his house and all that he had. Now Potiphar was the general, the captain of the guard. He was the head of the entire Egyptian army. And now Joseph is in charge of his affairs, his household. And now I imagine he's thinking, oh man, I am right next to Pharaoh, like all the time. I see where this is gonna go. Lord, you are brilliant. This is incredible. I would have never seen this coming when I was betrayed by my brothers in the pit about to die. I didn't know who was gonna purchase me when I got to Egypt. And here I am rubbing shoulders. I am running the entire house of the general of the Egyptian army. I see how this is gonna go. And then Potiphar's wife gets involved. And if you know the story, man, she's got eyes for Joseph. And every day she's coming on to Joseph and she's making moves on Joseph and Joseph is saying, no, Potiphar has entrusted me with his whole house and everything. He's given me all he has, but he never gave me you. I cannot sin against God and I will not sin against my master. No, but she ambushes him. She gets the house cleared out one day and she's like, right here, right now. And he flees, he runs, she grabs onto his coat, his robe, his manager's robe. And she accuses Joseph of trying to assault her. Potiphar hears about that. Who's he gonna trust? His wife or Joseph? Potiphar, in that moment, he decides. Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him, put him in the prison, the place where Pharaoh's prisoners were kept. Lord, this wasn't in the dream either. I remember the part about like people bowing down. It felt really close to happening. And then I didn't even do anything wrong. In fact, I did all the right things. And I'm still down here in the prison again. Lord, how is this a part of the plan? How does this connect? And I, I think part of this strategy, when you decide I'm moving towards a dream, I'm following God, I'm, I'm moving towards God's fullness for what he has for my life, there is a season where he, he strips the robes from you. And there's two different instances now where, where the robes have been taken off of Joseph. And I think the first robe, it represented his pride. He came to his brothers and his parents and he's like, you're all gonna bow down to me one day. There's some pride there. And God goes, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, take, I'm gonna get rid of that pride. I'm gonna take that coat of many colors off you. You're gonna have a season where you have to be faithful in somebody else's household. I'll be with you. I'm gonna give you blessing in that household. Quickly, you'll rise at the top, but I'm stripping you of your pride. And then robe number two, is faithfulness even in the face of injustice, even when you're the victim? Will you remain faithful when it all went down against you? When you have every cause to blame someone else, to accuse someone else, where you did the right thing, but you ended up in prison. You did the right thing, but they're slandering you. You made the right next move, but now you're getting thrown under the bus. And there's this sense of, God is like, I'm auditing your heart, Joseph. Do you trust me? 
Will you hang on to the dream here? Will you stay faithful here or will you quit? The way forward, friends, hear me when I say this. The way forward in your life is never through blame or excuses. It simply means that you cannot allow the wrong, hurtful, and evil things that have been done to you to be your justification for why you will give up on the rest of your life. Do you think Joseph felt like quitting? He was so close, now he's in the prison. I don't see any way out of this. Yes, there might need to be a season where you're on the sidelines. Yes, there might need to be a season of healing and recovery. Yes, if you've been deeply wronged and hurt, there will be seasons where, man, you gotta sit on the sidelines before and heal up before you get back in the game. But friends, what God was teaching Joseph, what he's teaching us is you cannot go back and undo the injustice or the pain that was done to you. You cannot let that be an excuse for why you quit and give up on every other aspect of your life. You just need to do the next right thing. So don't give up in the prison. Serve the prison warden in the same way that you serve Potiphar, the captain of the guard. And within a short period of time, the story goes, Joseph was elevated to running the entire prison. God said, I'm gonna take an audit of your heart. I'm gonna develop you, Joseph, in this season. So whether you're in the palace or the prison, are you the same person? Whether you're in hiddenness, being unjustly treated, or everyone is bowing to you, are you going to be the same person? This is part of your development because Joseph, where I'm taking you, where I'm taking you, you have no idea the pressures you're gonna be under, the challenges you're gonna face, the things you're gonna have to deal with, the influence that I'm going to give you. I'm stripping some of these things off of your life. I'm creating a resilience inside you. Trust me. But then there's a third stage, right? Delays. The cupbearer and the baker of Pharaoh, they get sent to prison. Again, I encourage you, you can read all this this week, starting in Genesis 37. So the guys that attended Pharaoh every day, they get sent to prison. Joseph's overseeing the whole prison. They both have a dream. Joseph interprets their dream. He gets it right for both of them. And he says, hey, when you get out of here, would you put in a good word for me with Pharaoh? Hey, just let him know that I'm a really good guy, you know, that I'd be happy to serve. However, just get me out of this prison. Get me out of this jail cell. And so this happens, Genesis 40, 23. The cupbearer gets free, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him for two years. That's a long time. Lord, I don't remember the part of my dream where I got forgotten for two years. Where I'm still here. I've been running it very faithfully and hiddenness down here, Lord. I'm still here. And I think, I think of it like this. I, I recently watched a documentary and I'll, I'm bringing it down the home stretch with this. Um, it was an ultra running documentary and it was apparently the hardest ultra race in the world ever been invented. I think it was like eight people to finish it. It is over two uh, 18 or 19,000 foot peaks in the Himalayas. Pretty ridiculous. 113 miles over two 
massive mountains. It, it goes across the border from India to Pakistan to China, 113 miles. Just think about that. And anybody who's even gonna try to run this has to go and live and just, I mean, you can be training for years for this race, but you have to go and live and sit for like weeks, even months, and just slowly start to run little bit by little bit every day. You have to go live at like 16,000 feet in India for a long time before you're even allowed to try to summit the mountain or that race. It's the same with anybody trying to summit Everest or one of the, the large mountains of the world. And our, in the documentary, there's a guy who literally flew in from England, signed up for the race, was there for a few, di for a few days, tried to run it, almost died, literally. I thought, I'm watching the documentary, like he is for sure dead. He has pulmonary edema, he has altitude sickness. He passes out on the side of the road at 17,000 feet. He gets found by, miraculously, the middle of the night by one of the road crews. They, they had to drive him down to like 15,000 feet where he gets helivac to a hospital and he barely makes it. And I was like, you know what the delays are in your life and in mine? The seasons of hiddenness, of waiting where it feels like you're stuck in the prison. The dream feels so far away like it's never gonna happen. You're never gonna break free from whatever that thing is. You're never gonna arrive at this goal or accomplish this thing in your life. Do you know what God is actually doing in that season? He's acclimatizing your soul for what's to come. He's getting you used to the mountaintop, the altitude that he's gonna require you to live at. There's a stretching period in there. There's a building of character and resilience because what's ahead, whether it's the healing process of your own soul, the healing process of your marriage, your family, the, the, what it's gonna take for you to climb that mountain in your business or your career, whatever's ahead is going to require more of you than you currently have. So he's going to stretch you and acclimatize you in the season you're in now. That's what the delays are about. And in the delay, the two years when you ask the guy to give it a good word for you and you're still there, and then one day God gives a dream to Pharaoh and the cupbearer remembers Wait, wasn't there a guy in prison that was like really good with dreams? Again, if I'm Joseph, I'm like, Lord, couldn't you have sent that one like two years ago? Like, come on. Pharaoh sins for Joseph. The rest of the story, I mean, it's incredible. Joseph gets elevated becomes the head of Pharaoh's household. It says this, Pharaoh, he made Joseph ride in his second chariot and they called out before him, bow the knee to the entire nation of Egypt. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. At some point in that journey, all the years of Joseph's betrayals, injustice, the prisons, the pits, the I'm almost there, but how does this fit in? What is this detour? Why this delay, God? Well, Joseph, I gave you the dream. I told you where I was taking this whole thing. You got to trust me, but I promise you there was a moment after year one when he was sitting in that prison still forgotten where the dream died. Promise you that. 
There will be a moment when you begin to move towards God's will in your life, where you begin to move towards healing and strength and the fullness of what God has called you to, where your dream, where your, your desire to make it to the end of the race and what you're hoping for is gonna feel dead. It's gonna feel like a seed buried under the ground and you're just waiting on rain. And at some point you're gonna say, ah, oh, it's over, there's no shot. And the story of Joseph, the reality of Joseph is simply this, do not stop believing. Do not let go of what God has promised. Trust that even in the delay, God is playing chess while you're playing checkers and he is working this thing out for your good and for his glory. The dream is gonna happen. The whole nation, all the stars of the heavens are bowing their knee to Joseph now. And at the very end of the story, his brothers come to him and they're terrified. The father comes, they're terrified. They're like, he's definitely gonna kill us now. And Joseph looks at them and smiles and he goes, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You tried to kill me and destroy me. You just tried to get me out of your life and that hurt, right? But God was using it to bring about the salvation of many as they are today, so do not fear. God used Joseph to save the entire nation of Egypt by interpreting Pharaoh's dream, saying, we have seven years of plenty right now. God's gonna send a harvest. We need to store up grain because there's seven years of famine coming. And God uses Joseph, the rejected one, the betrayed one, the abandoned one, the one who was left in the pit, the one who went to prison unjustly accused, the one who was sold for 20 pieces of silver, just like Jesus, the one who was hated by his brothers, the one who was rejected by all, now he has been elevated to the right hand of Pharaoh. The entire nation is bowing the knee and the nations of the earth are coming to Egypt for their salvation. Sound familiar to anyone? Do you see how the gospel is being preached in Genesis? Do you see how Joseph is a picture of Jesus? The one who was forsaken, betrayed, unjustly accused, ultimately killed sent to the prison of hell for you and for me so that by faith in him, God would raise him up to new life and say, I'm gonna save many through you, Jesus. I'm gonna bring about the saving of the nations through you, Jesus. Joseph is a picture of Christ. Friends, wherever you're at in the gap between the dream and where you're headed, what you long for to happen in your life, whether you feel like you're in the prison right now or in a delay or on a detour, have hope, cling, first of all, to God, to the gospel, to Jesus Christ, to remember your hope is secure in Him, but also cling to the fact that God has brought you thus far. You have moments of deliverance and freedom in your life, in your own history. You can look back and see what God has already done so you know He can do it again. Do not get discouraged, do not give up. Keep the dream alive. Thank you for listening to the Hills Church Sermon Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you haven't already, give us a rating so we know how this has impacted your journey with God. To learn more about us, visit our website at hills.church. We'll see you next time.